Hi, today is Sunday, October 29th. And um, if you've uh, been checking the news, you've heard about Hurricane Oris, a major hurricane that's caused deaths and major damage in the Mexican beachside city of Acapulco. It was supposed to be a mild tropical storm, and uh, most of the people who were enjoying a lazy afternoon on the beach were not particularly worried and were told not to worry. And then all of a sudden, the storm intensified and um, really quickly turned into a hurricane, leaving little time to issue warnings or prepare for its arrival. And within hours, Otis strengthened from a tropical storm into the most powerful Category 5 hurricane before hitting land uh, early Wednesday in the, this, this week. Um, Otis had peak winds, wind speeds that, that increased by 115 miles per hour over a 24-hour period. And at maximum, the winds were going at 165 miles per hour when it hit the coast. It was described as one of the most rapidly intensifying tropical cyclones on record. So it's not just the speed at which uh, those winds were blowing, but the, the, the sort of the intensification, how quickly it sped up. At least 43 people have died um, so far, and the storm knocked out power um, in over half a million homes and businesses across the state of Guerrero, leaving much of the area completely out of reach for more than 12 hours, during which we really knew nothing about, you know, what was left of Acapulco. If you've followed the news at all, you've seen images of the devastation and the and that, you know, you've heard of the many Mexican organizations that are raising funds to help people in the area. And I mean, rebuilding is not going to happen for a while. Right now, it's really just sort of assessing the damage and trying to help people um, in need. Moments like these are always shocking, right? Whether they happen in, in, in Mexico, in Pakistan, or in the Midwest. Um, we don't expect these natural disasters to happen, even if we know that they can happen. Um, the damage is always shocking. The deaths are always shocking. And it feels like these events come out of nowhere and can hit indiscriminately. And yet, what if we look beyond the immediate and think about averages? How, does, how, how do these things average out over time? Well, it turns out that over the past decade, approximately 45,000 people globally, and we're really only, I'm, I'm sorry to be so crass and only talk about deaths, but... Um, when we're trying to find metrics, um, casualties in terms of death is a f is is an objective measure, right? Um, damage, um, trauma, destruction of a house or breaking a leg has a much different sort of falls into a different category and is harder to essentially categorize in a simple uh, way to assess whether things are better or worse. And, and so I, I know that statistics um, feel crass uh, sometimes when we're talking about these things, but they are, they're, they're helpful to think in terms of averages and certainly change over time. And so if you think that over the last 10 years, it's 45,000 people globally have died from natural disasters, which is about less than 5,000 a year. Um, of course, we don't feel in averages, so maybe, maybe you know, sort of that it isn't the right metric, but it is a metric. Now, over the last 50 years, right, if we, if we so this is over the last 10 years, if we expand our, our, our range of, of analysis, the number of deaths falls even lower. So the longer our time period, the lower the average 
number of people impacted, killed by these natural disasters. But what we also see is that there are devastating impacts of, of shock events, right? These are not average events. These are shock events. Over the course of the 20th century, the Yangtze River floods in the 1930s, the Erzincan earthquake in Turkey in 1939, the devastating floods in Guatemala in 1949, the Bola cyclone in Bangladesh in 1970, the famine and drought in Ethiopia in the mid-80s, the 1985 earthquake in Mexico, and, and you know all the, the more recent 2004 uh, Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami. All of these events push global disasters deaths way above any averages I could give you. And so average calculations actually cannot do these event justice. And the fact is we've got these low-frequency, high-impact events, such as earthquakes and tsunamis, that aren't preventable, that will always impact the news cycle, impact us when we find out about them. Now, the, 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 the natural disasters are not preventable, right? The earthquake is going to happen. But the high losses of human life, those, it turns out, are actually, well, if not entirely preventable, certainly controllable. So we know from historical data that the world has seen a significant reduction in disaster deaths over the course of the last decades through earlier prediction, through better infrastructure, through emergency preparedness and response systems. So it turns out that there are certain parts of our planet, we, certain aspects of our planet we can't control, but as humans, we've, we've developed systems that make, that recognize that life is precious and protected. So in the early to mid 20th century, so the first half of the 20th century, the annual death toll from disasters was, was extraordinarily high. And I mean, it could reach just an extraordinary number depending on what, you know, which of these events we're looking at, if it's the, f the floods or the tsunami or the earthquake. But in recent decades, we've seen a, a, a real decline in deaths. Um, and so even in peak years with high impact events, um, we, we've never gone back to figures from the first half of the 20th century. And that's even more impressive if you consider the fact that the rate of population growth of this period is, is huge, right? So our number of deaths is much smaller in the absolute, but if you if you take it as a, as a, as a proportion of total population, that it's I'm not going to say it's insignificant because no death is, but the casualty rate has fallen significantly. And yet, every time a disaster happens, our news feeds will explode with images of horror and misery, because there is horror and misery. But we're going to get varying levels of information about how this is the worst since some date, how nothing like this has ever happened, how nothing this bad has happened, ever happened. All of this, right, constructed, A, to keep you watching, and to make you feel terribly vulnerable and like you have no control. And yes, it is very hard to control natural events. But also, yes, humans have gotten much better at developing warning systems and building better structures. So as the numbers suggest, we are actually much safer today than we've ever been. But that does not seem what the story is whenever there is this kind of an event. Because the fact is that the images suggest that we're not safe at all. The thing is, we may be safer from the events, from, from the elements, but we're not safe from what others will do to take advantage of our fears in circumstances like this. 
So let me tell you the story of Frida Sofia. Frida Sofia was a young girl whose plight captured the attention of the Mexican public after the earthquake in 2017. She was a 12-year-old girl. She was trapped in the rubble of her collapsed elementary school as rescuers rushed to save her. Television cameras fixed their attention on the, the, the frantic rescue operations after the, the earthquake toppled the school on September 19th, 2017. And there were tidbits of stories that would come out. There was information about a child. Uh, some began to identify the child as Frida or Sophia or Sophie. And then she became, that sort of became one person, Frida Sophia. Some reported that she was with five other children. Some said that she'd spoken to rescuers and was wiggling her fingers, and still others said that she had been given water. And a large part of, of the problem is that in, in, in the sort of the rush to help, there's no clear information line. Right? After the school had collapsed that Tuesday after a 7.1 magnitude earthquake in Mexico City, people just rushed to pull injured children from the school. By evening of that day, there was the military, the police, local volunteers had been digging for more than 24 hours. And the, there were also um, journalists and, and, and onlookers. And, and that's when reports emerged from, from this crowd that a girl who was alive was inside the rubble. Televisa, the country's largest television news network, was the first to air the report about Frida Sofia. The news was relayed by a reporter who had spoken to leaders of the rescue teams, and she was one of the only reporters allowed inside the court, right? She was inside uh, with police, close to rescuers around the building. Um, and she was, at that point, a pretty well-known figure on the evening news program. So she was considered reliable. She was well-known and reliable. And for the next 24 hours, as Mexico City residents struggled to come to terms with this destructive earthquake, which had hit in like 32 years to the day um, of the last violent one in 85. Um, those that were not rescuing or helping were glued to the TVs, watching every piece of news about Frida Sofia. Because if that one child could be saved, if only that child could be saved, then, then there was hope for everyone else. Later that evening, uh, the journalist interviewed rescuers on camera who spoke of a child trapped and alive in the building. For example, I'm quoting rescue worker Raul Rodrigo Hernandez Ayala came out from the site on Wednesday night and said that the girl is alive. She has vital signs. And there were maybe five more children who had been located alive. Um, and so he, he said there is a basement where they found the children. And according to the report, his report, and the report that the journalist was sort of conveying, helmeted workers spotted the girl buried in the debris early Wednesday and shouted to her to move her hand if she could hear. And she did. And a rescue dog was sent inside to confirm that she was indeed alive. And and one rescuer told local media that he talked to the girl who said her name was Frida. Now, the story grew from there as more news outlets reported the information. And soon, hashtag Frida Sofia was trending on Twitter. It, it was a long, long night. Uh, Twitter, which was still Twitter then, um, was very active. Um, the stories were, you know, sort of, it was, it was an, an ongoing flow from a variety of sources. Um, and by morning, this Thursday morning, a Navy officer, Admiral Jose Luis Vergara, told Televisa that there appeared to be a girl inside, but that they could not point her, pinpoint her location. There's a girl alive in there. We're pretty sure of that, but we still don't know how to get to her. So this was, you know, 12 hours of rescuers, of journalists, and now in the morning, an official source. A Navy general, Admiral, tells us 
She's there. We just don't know how to get there. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the morning, the Admiral backtrack. All of a sudden, there was no mention of Frida Sofia. And he stated that no students were believed to still be trapped inside. That, in fact, there had been a thermal camera lowered into the rubble of the school that had detected blood, but that the only person still listed as missing was a school employee. And here's the thing. There was no Frida Sofia. She didn't exist. Was it, was it all? Was it a lie? It was just a story. From the beginning, there were doubts about Frida Sofia. Some news outlets reported that her name could not be found in the school's roll book. Uh, the Ministry of Education had issued an appeal for families of students who might be missing, and no one claimed a girl by that name. In fact, no one, by sort of Wednesday afternoon, no one was claiming anyone. Televisa, the TV chain for whom the journalists work, later said that its reporting had been based on interviews with rescuers and official sources, and they demanded an explanation from the Navy as to why it had retracted its earlier statements. Televisa said that our goal was always to avoid rumors and the dissemination of false information. That is why we approached the Navy, which is the highest coordinating command of these rescue tasks. By Friday morning, the story was collapsing. And the reporter said that the authorities had limited her access and that she'd done her best to verify information with rescue workers. Um, and she blamed the Navy for falsifying their stories. So she came under significant criticism. But don't worry about her. She now runs one of Mexico's major morning shows, Despierta. So you've probably seen her. What happened? What, what, what was that all about? Well, a psychology professor at the uh, at Chilean University who specializes in trauma caused by natural disasters, said that earthquakes have sort of a communal effect and that this, that it, it kind of, that the lack of information, because everyone's busy essentially taking people, getting people out of the rubble, um, might explain how the spread of mis misinformation happens. So he said, as a result of our anxiety and expectations, we interpret the information provided by rescuers in a distorted way. Our perception and attention is selective. It is restricted by our experiences and socio-effective elements, such as desire to find a person who has disappeared from the disaster or find a loved one alive in the rubble of a collapsed building. This doctor said that it could lead people to transform information and sometimes spread misinformation. And he said that what probably happened was a result of collective psychosis. Um, now, I just want you to know that... Um, we're all vulnerable to this. I was part of that collective psychosis. I was in Mexico during that earthquake. I was about to get on a plane. I was at the airport. And um, and the earth started moving. And parts of the ceiling from the earthquake from the airport started falling. Um, it stopped. The earthquake stopped. I collected myself. And I walked back from the airport to my parents' home about 10 miles. And I walked through parts of town that were pretty destroyed. I walked with masses of people who were leaving the airport, people who were as confused and as scared as I was, who were also dragging what they could of their luggage behind them. And so I, and many of them, spent a night watching and hoping for Frida Sofia to be found. All this to say that it's okay to get things wrong in the moment. It's almost, I mean, we, we don't expect anyone to think clearly when our emotions are really the only thing that that are that that we have access to, but when we're dealing with historical documents, when we have multiple decades between an event and us, 
then we need to be able to see through those lies, through the collective psychosis, or simply the errors of being human. And we have to try to get to the truth. So as you are doing your work and your research, recognize your emotions, identify them as such, and then make sure that you're not using your emotions to assess the evidence. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.